about EdTech pedagogy at the Welcome back. We are so excited to be joining you on our finale episode. Emily, I cannot believe that we just finished our third season. I know. Someone said to me the other day um, about like how many listeners we had or something. And I said, it still boggles my mind that like more than just our parents and <laughs> just our friends listen to this. <laughs> it's, we actually have real people who listen. So I appreciate all of you listeners and people who come up to me and say, oh, I listened to your podcast. And maybe I don't know who you are yet because um, it surprises me every single time. Yes, but it always makes my day. It's always so exciting to be hearing about um, and from different people who listen and also to sort of get to know our community a little bit because um, there's so many amazing people who have really interesting stories and it gives us lots of fantastic ideas for season to come. Um, so our sort of opening spoiler is that yes, we will in fact be back for season four next year. Um, Emily and I are deep in the thick of brainstorming episodes. There may even be some sort of teasers um, in our finale episode today. Um, but really our biggest goal today is just to reflect on the school year. Um, so if you are also a teacher and educator, we also know that we have some parents who are listening, um, uh, who are sort of working you know, with their kids and, and taking a really hands-on approach, which we love to hear. Um, this is a great day, you know, sort of plan along with us. Um, do some reflections yourself about how the year has went. Um, this is something that we really enjoy getting the opportunity to do every year, because this is how you learn and grow, right? You sort of uh, try something out, you talk about it with your, your peers, um, and then you reflect on how it went and you've spent the summer getting ready for all of those great things. So we're going to do this uh, episode in two parts. We're going to be starting with our reflections and lessons from the school year. And boy, do we have some big ones. Um, I know I have been processing so many things that I have not been able to share on the podcast, but I'm, I'm really excited uh, to jump in with today. Um, and then we'll be talking about our summer goals. Um, I think both of us have some interesting research and reading and things that we want to check out. Um, and hopefully we will have new things to share come season four. So let's get started just talking a little bit about generally how the school year went. Emily, how was your school year, girl? <laughs> As if we did not spend every minute together. <laughs> I know, right? Not like we talked every single day, um, pretty much. But this school year, you know, it's had its challenges. As I think I've talked about on the podcast, if not, Allison already knows this, Um we definitely, I had some challenges. I had a large class size this year, yes, which presented did. its own set of challenges, but we made it through and definitely learned lots of things along the way. And we, we finished strong and have some, some good things to look forward to and some some good lessons learned this year. How about you? Listen, every single year, I sort of feel like I say the same thing, which is this was my best year of teaching ever. <laughs> <laughs> but this year, I feel like I'm saying it um, because I actually feel like I'm starting to tap into some of the resources that I've been wanting to build as a teacher for really, really long time. Um, one of the things that has been, I think, sort of tricky in our career as cyber educators is that when we started the ed tech materials that were out there, 
were just nothing in terms of how sophisticated, how user-friendly, um, you know, how awesome they, they sort of are today, right? Like when I look back at, you know, the, the lessons that I was doing 10 years ago, um, I really tried to be, you know, on the cutting edge and there just wasn't sort of the, the plethora of materials available to really help me do that. Um, and then I feel like there was kind of a mid phase that like Emily and I started to go through when we started to see a lot of this ed tech like really popping up. And this is when we were getting into KTI and sort of trying out different things and trying out different materials. Um, and I sort of felt like right at the end, right before the pandemic started, I was right at this sort of moment in my teaching where I was like, okay, I found the tools that I like and I really wanna invest in these tools and invest in the pedagogical practices that they allow for. Cause I do think that if there's something that I've learned through this podcast journey, but also through um, sort of the um, KTI community and being involved in PAECT and a lot of these sort of like ed tech communities, it's that the right tool really, 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 really matters. Um, because if you don't have the right tool, there are certain kinds of pedagogy, certain times of, kinds of protocols that just aren't going to be available to you as a teacher. And so even though it feels like you're sort of, you know, taking valuable classroom time, I guess, like a way to try a lot of these different things, finding that right tool for you and for your classroom is so incredibly important. Um, and we had last year that big textbook change that kind of like really messed us up a little bit where we had, um, as Emily alluded to, we had a, a pretty big change in our platform this year that we teach on. Um, and I know we'll be talking about that later at the podcast for sure. Um, but between that and the textbook and then wanting to sort of set up all these different new ed tech you know, tools that I'd been working with for so long, um, I really felt like I had to take the last two years just to get the infrastructure of my classroom really where I wanted it to be. And it was nice this year because I felt like there were moments where I was teaching a unit and it was almost like, um, sort of the, you know, the sun parting through the clouds where I really felt like, ah, oh, yes, okay, everything is working the way that I envisioned it working, right? Um, I'm able to do so many more things. I've laid a good foundation for myself and it's really going to up what I'm able to do in the future. Um, but I feel like the last couple of years have been like building years. They've been like setting a foundation for myself and for the kind of classroom that I want to have and the kinds of things that I think work um, in our environment and work for our kids. So this year has been a very good year. Um, I definitely think I've been able to try some more things um, and it, it's been my best year of teaching so far, but I'm looking forward to sort of even better, even more interesting teaching coming in the future. And I just want to add to real fast before we jump in, <coughs> excuse me, jump into our next section here. Um, I know that we've obviously been seeing everything that's that's out in the world in on Twitter, on Facebook. We know how hard of a year this has been. Um, we know there's tons of people who are getting burnt out and uh, leaving teaching for whatever or taking a break or whatever. Obviously, Allison had an awesome year. I had a <laughs> not quite as awesome year. So wherever you fall in this, that's fine. Um, if you're someone who is like, oh my gosh, my year fell apart this year and I'm listening to Allison and she's going <laughs> on about how amazing it is. It's fine. Um, so like we get it. We understand that this was not the best year for everyone. Um, and if you are burnt out, we get it. We've been there. Um, oh yeah. 
So just wanted to acknowledge that for everyone too, that we know that this year has been really hard for lots and lots and lots of people. Oh, 100%. And let me be very clear. When I say it has been my best year of pedagogy, I mean my best year of pedagogy. (laughs) That does not necessarily mean my best year for not working nights and weekends and not doing a bunch of things. Um, In some ways, right, not this year, but our our previous year, the 2020, uh, 2021 school year, that was my big year for burnout. Like I, I hit that wall so hard. Um, that February. It was a real slog to get to the end of the year. And I mean, there were so many other things going on with the pandemic, which was also very much, you know, I think a factor for us this year as well, um, for a variety of reasons inside of education, right? Um, But I think that that year, like, scared me a little bit, like, like, legitimately, because it was the first time that I was like, I am so burned out that I don't know that I want to do this. You know what I mean? That like you really have that moment of being like, this may not be sustainable for me as a person. Um, so like if if you're in that that space, listen, I get it. <laughs> you, you know, you have to sort of do the things that you need to do. Um, and I really, you know, this year, I think part of what helped me a little bit was not striving to give 100%. You know what I mean? I put some pretty big boundaries in place in places where I could. Um, I definitely chose to not do as well in certain metrics um, when it came to, you know, wanting to be the, the top tier of everything. You know, it was like, I know that I can't be the top tier of everything and also continue to be the, the things that I like in teaching continue to be what I consider to be a good teacher. Um, you know, I've had lots of conversations definitely off the record with a lot of people about sort of their their process of, of sort of realizing that this is not the field for them anymore, that this, and many of them are, are very long time educators who've been in the, the field for a long time, um, who have said things around the lines of, you know, things have really changed. Um, I'm not able to, you know, do the kinds of things that, you know, I feel like is really important for my students. I'm not able to serve them in the same kind of way because of all the extra demands, right? Um, you know, so we're, we're, on, we're on both sides of, of this fence here. You know what I mean? I think that when we're thinking about the health of our students and putting our students first, I think a huge part of that has to be putting the mental health and the mental well-being of their teachers really high up there because they are the people who are closest to the kids on the ground and really setting those paces and setting those tones and doing that kind of stuff. Um, so there's there's a there's a whole <laughs> a whole range of experiences I think this year for sure. Um, but on a personal level, I am feeling very proud of myself for kind of digging myself out of that place of burnout um, that I was in and finding balances and finding place to continue to move. And I'm hoping that a lot of the work that I've been able to do in these last two years of setting the foundation of working with ed tech is stuff that I'll be able to build upon to help give myself more time and creativity and more balance and well-being inside of this profession. As we think about everything, either from this year, well, mainly from this year, what were your biggest things that you learned over the course of the year, your biggest reflections? Ooh, so in terms of my reflections, lessons, there are two big ones that I'm taking away. So as I mentioned before, I was focusing on doing a lot of foundational work. So getting everything kind of built, building all those near pods and activities and trying different things, building everything and actively learn. Um, but the the two sort of areas where 
I got to try some different things and, you know, I was really pushed out of my comfort zone. Um, we're in the areas of community building and in my final novel unit of the year. So both of these were areas of the school year that really pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I do think ultimately produced really good things. So starting with community building, my third period class this year, <laughs> really, really <laughs> challenging. I know Emily's laughing because she knows um, how much they pushed me, um, not necessarily in a bad or uncomfortable way, way just in a I had some new problems and new challenges that I did not typically have as a teacher one of the things in cyber education is that like you are often pulling right you're you're sort of pulling kids in pulling their attention trying to get them really in and engaged and I don't know what it was that happened in my third period class but these kids were just like lit up light bulbs all year long. They were techie. They were savvy. They were engaged. Like I could not, you know, get them <laughs> funneled enough. Um, and so this was a real opportunity for me to have to learn some different classroom management strategies uh, for sure when it came to an online classroom, right? A lot of the management is about dealing with disengaged students or pulling things in. Now I had to, you know, really focus on putting in place, um, you know, limits and, you know, how how are we going to, um, you know, share and take turns and if th things that were just very different than I've, I've typically had. And in some ways, I think that's a really good sign because it means that the generation of students that are coming up, they are just so much more used to engagement in this environment. And they are so much more used to technology that it's now about sort of honing those interests and guiding those interests and those, those techniques and allowing them to express themselves in the classroom. But it was a new experience for me. Um, and one of the things that this group of students ended up doing was that they were so hungry to share things about their lives and share things that they created um, that this class basically had like a private message board in my seesaw this year. <laughs> Um, where they were just posting all kinds of different things about their lives, projects they made, all kinds of stuff. I, I was able to review all of it um, before people were able to see it and comment and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was a really great experience. Not every kid in the class took advantage of it. Um, but for those that did, it was a really meaningful experience and a great way for the kids to get to know each other and to sort of build a larger presence in each other's lives. Um, and that's something I'm really thinking about for next year is that when I'm thinking about building community, um, you know, I want it to be more than sort of an activator on a fun Friday. I want it to be more than our class social contract, which is very important. Um, but what else are we doing to sort of build a community space for ourselves that's not specifically academic um, in nature? And where can I be taking inspiration from communities that happen in digital spaces, forums, Twitch, social media, podcasts, online communities, things like that, and looking at the mechanics that they have to get people engaged and sharing and having meaningful experiences? Because I know, um, a few years ago, you did a whole series of projects around group work um, inside of the cyber environment, right? Yeah, that was a while ago. I it was. I did that. <laughs> this, is, this is why you, you should have the same peer coaching people <laughs> for like long periods of time. Because like, I listen, I watched you try thing after thing after thing and watched so many of those things that you tried just not work out 
the way that we envisioned them, right? It doesn't mean that they, you know, didn't work at all, um, but it wasn't as seamless as I think we were hoping, right? And I think on some level, um, this class this year got me thinking that we might be a little bit in not the right headspace to just try to take essentially group work activities from brick and mortar world and try to always translate them, right? We might be it might be who of us to take inspiration from communities that exist more organically in virtual spaces and see what lessons we can learn from them and ask how can they be integrated into digital classrooms as well and sort of see what I can learn there. So that's sort of one of the big lessons that I learned this year was thinking about community and virtual spaces um, and taking inspiration from different, different places on the internet and using that. And that's a big goal for me next year, um, just to kind of preview that coming up, um, is to think about how I could be using some of those lessons in a more deliberate way. Because there were definitely, there was a lot of growing pains along the way, as Emily can tell you, <laughs> as I was trying to sort of, uh, uh, you know, get get a handle on this particular group of kids. Um, part well, of that, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and that spilled over because that, um, that group of kids we shared, and yes. we they would come into my class too. And I always gave them the first five minutes to talk. Um, and as Allison alluded to that, that group was, was challenging to manage. Um, and my, the way that I tend to manage my classroom in general has always been chat will stay on during class until you start getting off topic. And then it goes off that class that, that classroom management strategy lasted like a week and then we we had to just turn it off and then it stayed off the whole time um but I always give them the first five-ish minutes to talk at the beginning of class and just let them talk about whatever they want um which that class definitely took advantage of um which is hilarious because some of my other classes like that first five minutes they would just say hi to each other if they said anything but that class would have full-on conversations about all sorts of things but I could see that spilling over into my class because they were talking about the movies that they were writing and sharing in Seesaw yep. and commenting on and what oh what's gonna happen next in your movie and I have this idea for your movie what do you think about this and I'm gonna sing this song and um share it and I could see those conversations happening in my class that then were translating over into what they were sharing on the seesaw so um yeah that was definitely it was a unique combination of kids um and also just getting them to understand that sometimes some other students needed to be able to yeah. take turns using the mic. Um, <laughs> that was that that was something else that we worked on in that class this year, <laughs> which I'm sure you did too. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mics and cameras. Cameras was a big uh, one for mm. them as well. And our, our platform will only let you have a certain number of cameras on at a time. So like who yeah. gets cameras? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. It was just, it, it was a very different year. This is not what I am used to in terms of stuff, which is great. Um, and I'm hoping that, yes, there were certain students, there was there was sort of a handful that at the beginning of the year, they really started um, sort of the seesaw and all that kind of stuff. But I can think of at least four students that were quieter, 
that were not as engaged that because of feeling a part of this community, I'm thinking of one student, two students really in particular, who they got more engaged in class, they got more engaged in sort of the feeling of school. Um, and so I really think there's something to be said for how we're using these outside spaces and how we're integrating them as part of the classroom um, and then what tools really make sense, right? So there's a lot of stuff that I really like about Seesaw. Obviously, I don't love just sort of adding another piece of technology, but like the approval and the comments feature is just like, oh, chef's kiss, so good, so easy to use, and it's already rostered for us as part of our class link. So that makes it a good choice. Um, but I'm also thinking about um, some different things in Actively Learn because there are some ways that you can do comments and things. Um, could it be more structured, right? Like there were a lot of students who were making different projects. And so I wonder, could there be different forms or different questions that we're asking every week in there or every month or doing different kinds of projects? I, like, I really want to think about this um, because you're right, that class was such an anomaly in some ways. Um, in how much they connected. And then I looked at my other two classes and like I had one that was like very quiet, <laughs> very, very, mm -hmm. very quiet. They, they were the yeah. typical class. And then one that was sort of in the middle, right? They also began to build those places of connection and it really did translate into the learning that they did as well. Um, so I do think that this is an important thing to be thinking about. And maybe just, uh, th this is now an off the top of my head thing. Maybe this is something to sort of dive more deeply into in a podcast next year is to talk about some of these different community building strategies um, and specifically what it's looking like in our classroom. So this might also hold, help to hold me accountable <laughs> to actually trying to set this up as if we treat it like a, a try it next year for us as we're having these conversations just kind of on the fly. Um, another area where that was sort of very similar, it was related, um, was that my novel unit, I did a little bit differently this year than I've done it in the past. Um, I've done my gamified Hobbit unit many, many times, and I, I really enjoy that. I think it's absolutely the way to go for this particular novel. Um, but we used to teach the Hobbit in the middle of the school year, and it was like right after after winter break, that time where you need like an infusion of new energy into the classroom. Um, and this year and sort of moving forward, it sounds like it's going to be at the end of the year, which is great. It's a wonderful thing to end on, um, but it also overlaps with our state testing season. That makes it really hard to read the book and run an RPG on top of it. So this year instead, um, I did sort of inspired actually by Holly a little bit. I loosened the reins a little bit when I do the RPG inspired Hobbit unit. I'm very controlled about, um, you know, we're reading the book together. We're re listening to chapters of the audiobook together. We're moving in lockstep because we want the adventures that the kids have to kind of tie in. Um, this time I sort of gave them a suggested reading pacing guide. Um, I gave them the option of three different ways to read the book, including an audiobook, the physical book they got sent, um, or the digital copy that they were able to access online. Um, I let them choose which one they were going to do, and there were quizzes at the end of the week. Um, if you weren't ready for that quiz because it was taking you a little longer to read, that was okay. And I was very particular about the way that I gave points for this unit that if a student didn't finish the book, they would not, you know, fail the quarter, right? Like they may not have the highest grade, um, but they certainly weren't going to fail the quarter. And the big assignment that we did for this unit was a writing assignment that 
any student could do with the information they had at their point in the book. So even if you'd only read the first chapter, you could still answer this question and do this writing assignment and, and do that kind of stuff. And I was really, really thinking about Holly um, and the interview that we had season one where she was talking about, you know, sort of really allowing students to have an authentic reading experience and that not every student needed to finish the book in order to have an authentic reading experience. But the important thing was to, to allow them to do, you know, however much they were able to do and to have the practice making decisions about what books they were going to be reading and what things they were going to be doing. Um, so I gave them a lot of, of freedom there, but it also kind of blew up all of my lessons, right? Because all of a sudden, um, I had students who were all over the place in the book. And I, I truly, I had kids who finished the book like three weeks early, and I had kids who did not finish the book, right? Um, and I needed some other way to sort of get them engaged and tried um, these class discussion models where students were at the end of each reading day that we had in class, giving me where they were in the book, just so I knew a highlight from the book, which was either something that they were, um, they felt connected to, frustrated by, excited by, surprised by, um, or, or surprised by um, in sort of the novel, and then writing a discussion question um, that they wanted to talk about with the class, right? Then the next day when we came in for the class discussion, I cherry picked certain highlights to sort of highlight certain students' work. Um, I had them, you know, do three to four questions that they wrote for each other in a silent discussion. And then we would watch like a quick scene from like one of the movies and do like a scene study so that any of the students, regardless of where they were in the book, they could still take part in the scene study. And we could still talk about, you know, the conflict of that scene or the theme that it was bringing about or, or the character uh, growth that we were seeing from a particular character. Um, and I went to Emily, you, I'm sure that you remember this, Emily, and said yeah. to her, I, I don't know, like, I'm letting go a lot of control in this unit. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what they're going to be on. They're writing their own questions. They're like, they're doing all this stuff. Um, and Emily had to really talk me off a cliff <laughs> to convince me to do this. Well, and I know, like, when we were talking, we were, we were talking about, like, how, how to get the questions. Um, and I was like, well, why don't you try letting the kids write their own questions? Because then they'll then you'll get good ones because they'll know like, oh, I want Miss Keefe to use my question. Yeah. Um, and I think I think we were talking and like you were going to do it the next day or something. So we you didn't do it, it was, the first yep. week. Um, but I think you said you did it afterwards. And I think you said you got better questions from them, didn't you? I did. I absolutely did. And questions that like I would have never thought about um, to write as a teacher. Um, there were one of the, the best ones that I really loved was which is scarier standing up to your friends or standing up to a dragon. Um, and I was like, this is a great question. This is a legitimately interesting question. Um, and the students loved getting recognized. They loved answering each other back and forth. Um, but it kind of also tied in with this idea about community building and about um, having them talk to one another. Like I could really see in the silent discussions. We we did these all on um, Nearpod, by the way. That's the what I just was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I did was um, I used, I started doing it in Nearpod initially where I took um, ask them for the highlight, where they were, and the question. That ended up being like a little too laborious to get them to sign in. And so as 
times went on, I started just using Google Forms to collect that information. But then I still took that information and put it into a Nearpod the next day. And the new Nearpod Collaborate Board features um, are really the things that I use to do this. So what I did was I took three to four questions that seemed to be about the amount that I needed um, for usually a 10 minute silent discussion. Um, and I would put each of those in a column and then allow the students to answer each of each other and kind of reply back and forth. Um, and the first day that we did it, there was a little bit of hesitancy, but one of the things that I think really, really helped with this activity is that both my co-teacher and I began replying to other students responses, going in and asking questions or asking for clarification or saying that's a really interesting point, let me add something. And so it provided a model for other students of how to do a silent discussion. And I think one of the things that I'd like to do next year is have this model of like highlights and you know, silent discussions and writing questions and talking about, you know, how do we reply to each other's responses? I want that to be a more formal part of the pedagogy. Um, and it's something nice because it ties back into some of the other community building work. Um, but yeah, that that was one of my biggest risks was just sort of this novel unit, just allowing it to be, you know, we're going to read this fun book together at the end of the year, we're past state testing, um, and you guys are really going to be the drivers of it. Um, you know, you're going to choose the method that's right for you. I had many students that started with the audiobook that went to the physical book or started with the physical book that went to the audiobook. Um, you know, they had different options for, for how to do that. Um, them getting into writing their own questions and, you know, some of them even got to the point where they were making art that they wanted to share as part of their highlight, which I said was totally fine. Um, it was a real great moment of kind of like letting go. And to tie this all the way back to the very beginning point that I made, this is the kind of stuff that I'm hoping that I can do more of now that I've laid a foundation for myself with this curriculum, I've laid a foundation for myself with this stuff is have these moments where I can let go a little bit with less fear, knowing that I have the tools to support some more interesting pedagogy moving forward. And I'm so glad that it worked for you. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out a way to try it in your classroom next year, Emily. <laughs> We're going to work together on it. So Emily, now that I've talked your ear off, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, because I know you also, you had a lot of stuff um, that you were really thinking through and trying. Um, and I just want to say like how proud I am of you because I know that you put so much effort into this school year. And I just, I'm really excited to hear about your sort of bigger picture reflections and lessons. Yeah, I think my my biggest picture one is, um, as we've talked about before, we we got the new platform this year, um, and I did pilot it last year for only a couple weeks because of some other stuff that was happening last year, but we, we all went full in this year, and there definitely, there, there were some issues. Most of them seemed to have ironed themselves out by the end of the year, though, but a lot of what we used to do in the old platform... I'm going to use the words isn't possible in the new platform, but I'm not saying isn't possible as in, because um, I know everyone will yell at me for saying not possible. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. So I definitely have had to rethink engagement with the new platform because a lot of our old tried and true methods of engagement just don't work the same way. Um, so we really had to take some time to figure out 
how to do a lot of the things that we like to do. Um, perfect example are things like movable pieces um, where kids could manipulate things on the board. Even things like writing on the whiteboard. I used to have the kids brainstorm and write on the board all the time. Uh, make a list of this whatever. Qualities for a good president. Everybody write on the board. Qualities for a good president. It's not so easy to do things like that in the new platform. So we really had to kind of figure out new ways of doing things that we used to do. So that is still um, a struggle, <laughs> not going to lie, still a struggle, um, but really spending some time and figuring out those, those things to, to rework with, with the new platform, for sure. Well, and I know one of the biggest ones was just breakout rooms, right? Like yes. our new platform has breakout rooms, right? Like they exist. Um, but the function or the the functionality of what the rooms look like, what you can do inside a room, what you can see inside a room, what you can't see inside a room, mm -hmm. what kids can do if they're in a room together, what they can't do, right? All of that requires a certain amount of thinking just on a classroom management level, um, much less a pedagogical level. Now, I do know that you surpassed me greatly and you did figure out breakout rooms, which is great. And I'm stealing all of your ideas for next year because <laughs> I was too much of a baby and was like, I'm just, I'm not even, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even touching that this year. I'm going to focus on, you know, this other area. Um, were there any things that you feel like you learned in terms of like, if you are in this position, if you have to do something completely new, do you have any advice for people that are like, you know, feeling overwhelmed by having a new piece of technology or a new thing that they have to start using? Because we, we didn't get a choice, right? Like we, right, this yeah. is now a thing that we were using, um, you know. Did you, do you have any advice for people who may find themselves in similar positions after having spent a year doing just that? Well, and even before I go into there, it's funny how, like, and when you bring up the breakout rooms and how they, they, they exist, but they work differently. And there's other quirks, like there's things that you don't realize how much you rely on them until they're not there. Yeah. Like, perfect example um, is... In our old platform, we used to be able to see all of the chats that yeah. happened between other moderators and students. Mm -hmm. And we can't see that in this new platform. And we have a lot of students who have one-on-one um, -on -one aides. So I used to be able to see all of those chats that happened between the aides and the students. And I never realized how much that helped me as a teacher to be able to help the students and the aides. With me not seeing those, I can't like preemptively help anymore. Yeah, yeah, that like, was a really big one. Yeah, I never realized how much I just used those and did it until that was taken away from me. Um, so it's it's almost like you don't know how much you just do things until you suddenly lose that ability. Um, to quote that uh, that song that I always hear on the radio, um, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah, yeah. I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to remember what that was, and I I wasn't coming up with it. Um, but yeah, it it was like it's one of those things where I was like, you don't realize how much you just do things until you can't anymore. Um, 
which like I understand from like the disability community where like something happens and you end up paralyzed or like something like oh my gosh I have to totally learn to live my life totally different um obviously not as drastic as that but um so yeah it was a matter of finding those workarounds um breakout rooms at the beginning did not work the way that they wanted to um but for things like movable pieces um i switched to using nearpod and their drag and drop feature i was like you're not gonna movable pieces are a real pain i can't get them to work they take a ton of time to set up and i just threw something in nearpod they have that drag and drop feature now boom each kid can drag and drop i can see what they're doing i don't need to worry about that um so it really forced me to be more creative and think of more um i'm gonna use substitution almost like with the Sammer model um but substitute different things for what i wanted to do in that case um so just try being like okay this is what i want to do and how i used to do it how can i do it instead and if i can't figure out a way to do it instead how can i then change the activity which does take more time um which to our earlier conversation about boundaries and burning out and that was that that caused me some issues this year along with my my large class size <laughs> you you really got i think the the double whammy right i think between you were already doing such interesting and sophisticated stuff in our old platform that in some ways I lucked out because I was already transitioning so many of my things to these other platforms that when we changed from our old platform to our new platform, it was like, nothing's changed in actively learn, nothing's changed in Nearpod, right? Um, And I'm just going to lean heavier into those materials. Um, But you were doing really sophisticated things with our online classroom. And so it was a much bigger burden on you. And then additionally, the pedagogy that you need for a really truly large class size, like an over 40 class size is just completely different than what you need um, when you're talking about, you know, a smaller, like a, a more traditional class size, right? Like 30 below. Um, however, and I I'm was about over to get, 40 every class. So. You are, you are, you got, you truly got the double whammy. Now I am going to get a taste of your medicine next year, because I know that one of the things that we're doing as a school is that uh, it will be unlikely that I will have a co-teacher next year. Um, so I'm going to have to rethink a bunch of my pedagogy to be sort of solo on my own, which is so sad. Um, but I know that I'll be able to lean on you, Emily, because you've been doing it on your own for a long time. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get say, it set out. to my life. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready to be there. Um, but those, those kind of changes take a lot of time. And I think that you're right. Like, you can't rush through that process. You have to allow yourself to really think through each thing and, you know, take it in stages, take it in bits, take it in bites. And I think that you did a really great job with that. So speaking of uh, good jobs and all of these things, um, I think it's a great sort of moment for us to pivot into our summer goals and things that we're hoping to do a good job on over the summer. Um, I know that you have some great stuff coming up, Emily. Do you want to talk about all of your fun summer plans? 
Yeah, so I have a couple of fun summer plans. Um, one of my, before I talk about actual summer activities, one of my summer plans is to just do some research on some things to uh, help with my class. Um, I just found, like last month, a website. I th think I found it on Twitter. So thanks to Twitter. Um, something called the Pop Culture Classroom which has free history graphic novels. I definitely want to explore that more and see what's there, what can I use, because those I think would be awesome to try to integrate more if they have some that work. Obviously, that's that's as far as I got with I saw it and I bookmarked it and I said, this is something to explore over the summer. <laughs> I mean, that is, listen, that is every year during the school year. It's like, you are yeah. so in whatever your goal is that it's like, I, I will get to this in June. <laughs> yep. I, I said to somebody about something else. I was like adding that to my after June 10th list. <laughs> yep. Um, but so that's on my, to research over the summer, but other exciting, fun things are I'm going to something called Steam in the Park. This sounds uh, so cool. Yeah, which is through Expeditions in Education, which is a 501c3 organization. And they you have to apply. They take teachers and park rangers to the different national parks to do all sorts of STEAM activities there. And we write lesson plans and we learn all about all about the national park. So my national park that I picked, you you apply to a specific national park from a list. And I obviously chose the National Mall. So at the end of June, I'm going to spend five days at the National Mall and we're exploring a bunch of different monuments and I think we're getting a tour of Ford's Theater, and we're going to the top of the Washington Monument, um, and I'm super excited to go and um, try to learn some STEAM activities, because I feel like that's also something that I'm not, I don't integrate any STEM in my class, because I don't know how to do it. So well, see, this is the perfect place to yeah. learn, because not only is it going to be like the National Mall, which is so important for you and sit, like here is a great idea to take direct, you know, thoughts for how those two things can overlay. But you've done such a good job, I feel like already of integrating like literacy into your civics course that like now now can be the year where you're like, I'm doing literacy, I'm doing science. <laughs> what are we yeah. not doing in civics class? Yeah. So, and they have them at, like, if you're listening and, and you're like, ooh, this is interesting, uh, check them out. I'll, I'll link their website in our show notes. They have, the, like, there's what, now this was this summer, so it'll be different parks next summer. Um, but there was one at Acadia, there's one at Bryce Canyon, there's one at New River Gorge, um, and there's more. I think there's eight total this summer. Um so definitely pretty cool. I'm excited. Um, so that's at the end of June. And then at the end of July is, of course, Allison and Mai's favorite thing. Um, yeah. KTI is back. Um, and there is a new, very exciting piece. We are actually obviously in person um, now that COVID is good um, still. And but... We are actually at the same time doing KTI in cyberspace. 
So there's a virtual summit concurrently. Um, so if you are a PAECT premium member, there will be some sessions for you as well. If you're not a PAECT premium member, what are you waiting for? Come join us. Um, this is your cell. <laughs> yeah. So uh, be on the lookout for that for registration. Um, also, if you are a PACT out of out of state member, that um, you'll also be able to join in on that too. So super excited to be helping to organize that aspect. I am so excited. Um, because they did a KTI live from cyberspace during the actual pandemic. And I do think it was a really great experience. And it's a great way to build in the alumni too, because that week is mm -hmm. so transformative for the teachers who are able to go. Um, and the conversations are so interesting that I think having that time over the summer to sort of check back with your community and be like, what, what's everybody trying? What's everybody doing? What's the new hot thing? Um, while you have the time to actually think about it, um, during those summer months before you sort of jump back in is really nice. So I think this is a great way to integrate, you know, you still have the old favorite of like the true KTI experience and, and how transformative that is in person, but adding on something else that worked. So here's a great example of a way that I think we've as educators been able to take lessons that we've learned during the pandemic um, and just, you know, continue to use them to better education, which just goes to show why, you know, educators are so great, you know, even in the midst of really difficult situations, you know, we've done a great job of, um, you know, pivoting and taking and always trying to be better and, and all that kind of stuff, which is fantastic to see for our community. Allison, I hear that you actually have a summer this year. I do. It's so exciting. <laughs> so traditionally, um, I do a lot of traveling in the summer and especially because, you know, we're in cyber world. Um, I love to get really far off the grid and go camping and backpacking and, you know, going to, to places that are very outdoors. Um, and I have, usually I go with my boyfriend's family to do backpacking and, and things like that. And then I go with my family to the coast of Maine and it's very lovely and there's ocean and there's lobsters and, you know, long forests and Portland and all kinds of wonderful things. Um, but this year, both of those families, uh, pretty much to avoid the heat because it has gotten very hot in both of those locations. Um, uh, there, we're going to be going in late August and in early June. So I literally finish up PD, our week of professional development, Emily, and I leave at like four o'clock to drive <laughs> to like <laughs> be at the house that I need to be at so that at five in the morning I could be on a plane to, you know, go to the other side of the country and, and do some uh, really wonderful backpacking and, you know, be out in nature and all that kind of stuff, which is wonderful. But in the middle of these two things, um, I'm going to actually have like a real summer, which is really exciting for me. A couple of weeks that are uninterrupted that are at home. Um, and I'm hoping to do use some of that time for, you know, education based things. Um, and it's nice because I'll feel like I had a little vacation, you know, I'll do some education stuff and then I'll, you know, uh, sort of release that and have a little vacation again and then actually start the school year. So my big goals are first and foremost, I have got to organize my materials like they are <laughs> Emily if you saw my folders girl <laughs> you would be so sad for me you have to understand Emily is like the most organized immaculate teacher and like I have like different naming conventions for things like it is it is a real mess in all of my folders so I need to get those organized and one of the big things that I want to do 
to help with my organization next year is I would like to go PowerPoint free. Now, what that actually means, guys, is that in our virtual classroom space, you normally have to make PowerPoints that go along with your lessons, and then you can manipulate the power, uh, you know, manipulate using the classroom tools, however you're going to manipulate them. Um, but because I've been teaching pretty much exclusively in Actively Learn and Nearpod for the last two years, and then I've just been screen sharing a student-paced Nearpod version, um, or screen sharing the presentation mode in Actively Learn, I don't really need PowerPoints anymore, right? Like I'm just doing it to have like a slide when the kids come in, classroom expectations, our objectives, and then finally homework and stuff at the end of the day. But if I was in a traditional brick and mortar classroom, right, I would just have my board that I set up at the beginning of the day that would have all of that information already on it. So to have four slides that do that, that I have to load every day, like it, it makes things very cluttered, right? Because I'm essentially making a whole document with multiple pages um, for something that would just be in my classroom space. Um, so I found a really interesting resource. It is called classroomscreen.com. It is a freemium uh, option. So I'm going to be playing with this over the summer, and I'm sure that I will be back after the summer is over with my thoughts about it. But it does seem like you get most of the really great stuff that I would need um, in our virtual classroom in the free version. And basically, it's like really beautiful, it's really aesthetic, but I can screen share this classroom screen and have on it timers, I can have on it um, places for, you know, our class expectations, our homework, all this kind of stuff to organize it. I can just screen share that when the students are coming in and just move between my different screen shares, never having to worry about loading or making PowerPoints ever again, which would make my life so happy. Um, the other big thing is our school has been doing a uh, pilot program for the Collins Writing Program. And my co-teacher this year was part of that pilot. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw. I know that as a school, we're sort of moving in that direction. So I would love to do some like pre-practice stuff over the summer, reading a little bit more about Collins. This may also be a really fantastic place for us to do um, a podcast episode next season, Emily and I talked about. Um, Collins basically is a writing program that talks about five different types of writing. And the thing that I really appreciate about this program is that it helps with something that I think is really important. I think many of us who are educators have looked at the page when a student has turned in a piece of writing and you can tell this student wrote exactly the way they think in their brains, right? Like exactly what sentences sound like in their minds, the way they talk, the way they think, that is the way it came across on the page, right? Um, and what's really important about Collins is that Collins acknowledges that is an important step in the writing process, that for many students, getting the thoughts that are in their head or the words that come out of their mouth onto an actual page is a difficult step. And that for many of our struggling writers, that is a scaffold that we need to build in. So the sort of type one and type two sort of forms of writing are forms of writing that we do to help build that fluency, that written fluency of getting the words in our brain and our mouths onto the page um, without worrying about academic language or grammar um, or spelling or anything like that. And as the five types scaffold up, we add more things on there. So it, it seems like it, it very much jives with like my philosophy. So I kind of like want to do some research. Um, and finally, sort of we've talked a lot about community building. Um, and also about leaning more into some of these, you know, different, more more advanced techniques, I'll say, using Nearpod and Actively Learn. Um, though I have to say, Emily, our last episode, like you were really, oh, 
like naked me think hard about <laughs> whether or not I should give class notebook a shot. So we'll see. I have to like weigh it over my mind and heart. Maybe I'll think about it when I'm on that plane um, about what those what those things are. So how can I be, you know, using the technology that I have to continue building a community and to be better tracking and supporting engagement moving into next year? I just spend time to think about things, do some research, um, find some different ideas, think about what would be good to, to integrate. Um, but now that I feel like I have a real base or a real foundation, I feel like I'll have more room to play and experiment and try things with a little more freedom on my plate. Um, and if you have any ideas for us for next season, now that we've kind of talked about what we want to do, and as you're doing reflections of your own while you are listening to us, if you heard anything that we were talking about that piqued your interest, let us know because we are also going to be spending our summer brainstorming ideas for next season. Oh, you bet. Let us know. Hit us up. Yes. If there are particular things that you would love us to give a try to, we would be super happy to do that. Um, also, if you think that there are some people who might be interested in interviews, we're also putting feelers out to some people for um, uh, experts to bring on to the podcast to talk about different things inside of education. Um, there's a lot going on in the broader world of education, broader discussions about education, um, but certainly also in the broader uh, pedagogical techniques as well. So we're sort of putting out all of our if you think that there's something that would be great for us, please let us know because um, the summer is our time to reach out to people and organize our schedule and kind of do all of that good stuff. Um, but I have to say overall, Em, I am very proud of season three. I feel like we got to really come full circle with a number of projects that we started um, as teachers sort of on this podcast. I think that the OneNote one was a, or I'm sorry, the class notebook one was a really, really big one for us to do. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling very proud of us this school year. It may not have been the easiest one, but we sure sure as heck tried our hardest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, How you can tell we're teachers. <laughs> we finally were able to close that chapter on one note. Yeah. <laughs> Only took us a year and a half. <laughs> Only so close though, because I mean I, I know that we're we're knee deep into pilot round two. So mm -hmm. we're we're on to the next chapter at the very end. So thank you guys so much for all of your wonderful support this season. It was uh, so great to get to um, speak with so many of you, whether it is through DMs or through Twitter um, or through uh, actually seeing some of you guys at different conferences or out and about in the world. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this season of the Cyber Sisters podcast. Until next season, um, we'll probably be out uh, sort of our normal time, late August early September. I know Emily and I need to sit down with our calendars because we have not planned that far in advance, but probably early September is probably what we're thinking for our return. Um, uh, you can always be keeping in touch with us. So on our socials, we're on Twitter at, at Allison K teaches and at Sattler Cyber. We always appreciate keeping that conversation going, especially over the summer. Please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, keep trying hard.